and welcome to the Riff Raff podcast, hosted by Amy Baker and Rosie Edwards. We set up the Riff Raff to champion the work of debut authors and to provide guidance and support for those dreaming of one day being published themselves. Today we're chatting to Rotendo Tavangarai, author of Hope is Our Only Wing. We'll chat about the increasingly gritty themes explored in YA and the importance of not dumbing it down and writing your ending to give your writing direction. Shamisu's heart broke into a shadow of bits. She could hear the jazzy trails of Mbira spiraling in the air. Her father would have loved that sound. She glanced at her mother, who stood next to her, fanning her sweaty neck. She seemed preoccupied. The music played on, painful and familiar. When Shamisu was eight, her father had insisted that she learn how to play. The metal pellets had bruised the tips of her fingers as she plunked on them, a series of confused notes bumping into a glorious discord. The frustration had been too much for an eight-year-old, made worse by the fact that none of the other kids at the school quite understood what the instrument was. Shamiso listened as the voice of Mbira rose proudly. Whoever was playing knew what they were doing. She could hear the underlying tone of a hum that flowed well with the song, and in that magnificent noise floated all the memories and feelings she was trying to ignore. Her mother hovered by the side, trying to figure out where they should go. Shamiso felt numb staring down at her shiny new shoes and listening to the music that disturbed the air. Shamiso, her mother hesitated. Are you all right? I told you before, Shamiso muttered, biting her breath. I don't want to be at boarding school, especially here. She watched her mother wipe her damn neck as though she had not heard her. Her blouse clung to her skin, moist from the sweat. There's no time to cry, her mother said softly. Wipe your tears, Mwanangu. You'll be fine. She nodded at the administration block in front of them. Hi, Rotende. Thank you so much for joining us on the Ref Raff podcast. Thank you for having me. This is really exciting. <laughs> um, could you start by telling us what your debut novel is about? Well, Hope is Our Only Wing is a story about uh, two teenagers, two girls, uh, who are uh, going through their own difficulties. So the main character, Shamiso, comes from the UK after the death of her dad and trying to adjust to a new country and also dealing with her grief and at the same time fearing to make new friends. And particularly in this case, the person that she's about to make friends with is someone who's going through her own you know, uh, deal with, with uh, a disease that she's trying to fight. So then it's, uh, it's, it's a story about friendship and how difficult it is to adjust, especially in a time of grief. But at the same time, it's set in uh, Zimbabwe in 2008 when we had the political crisis, well, the political and economic crisis, and when Zimbabwe got famous for its uh, hyperinflation. So that's, that's roughly the story without giving too many spoilers. <laughs> and how, how did you come up with the idea? How, yeah. Well, I actually don't know that I intended to have it be an actual book and published. I I literally just wrote it out of like anger and frustration at what was happening in my country. And I needed like an outlet to just like vent. But at the same time, I love storytelling. So I thought if I could write the story and share it with my friends, then maybe, you know, they might be encouraged or just like share my, my frustration. But at the same time, get to see that it's not a hopeless situation so then um that's where the inspiration came from really uh and then in the midst of that 
just landed in, 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 in the heavens of an editor and here we are. <laughs> Amazing. Great story. <laughs> And as you mentioned, your two main um, heroines in the book, Shamisa and Tanya, they're both dealing with trauma and, and loss and, and grief and, in Tanya's case, illness. They're big themes and big ideas. What did you? What similarities did you see between the, the two ideas, the two, you know, the two, their two stories? Well, I don't know that I could say similarities as such because I wanted to cover a bunch of things. Um, but I guess the thing that brings them together is loss or fear of it because Tanya is going through potential loss of her life and not just in the sense of death, but also like how things she's used to having things be. And uh, Shamiso, the actual loss of her father. So that that's maybe the, the similarity, but also it's just that, you know, I think for teenagers as in, in particular, it's very hard to go through things like this and trying to understand why is the world like this and why do I feel so alone? So maybe that also would be something that connects them that, you know, they're confusing and trying to grasp anything that can help you get steady in a time of like discomfort and mayhem, I guess. Yeah. Well, one of the things that really struck me was that even, you know, it's set in Zimbabwe, which is somewhere I've never been, or they would love yeah. to go. And, but these themes are so universal and will just yeah, resonate yeah. with, you know, readers, I think, wherever you are. Yeah, that's true, yeah. I think that's something that I also wanted to do because um, I have friends from, you know, a bunch of countries and I thought... Well, before knowing that I'd have to, I, I'd have this published. I thought if I, I if I'm going to share about my country, I don't want somebody to read and just think, oh, okay, and not really be able to connect at some level. So things like grief and and loss and sickness, even those are things that are not foreign to you know to us as human beings, wherever you're from. We can kind of like like oh yeah, I felt that or I felt that or I can relate to that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And um, so. You obviously, as, as on like in addition to that, you speak, so you're speaking about politics and stuff, and so you've got these really big complex topics, um, and you're writing for obviously for a YA audience. Um, <laughs> yeah. So um, obviously, like I love YA, so it's obviously for adults yeah. as well. But it's um, how what kind of tips would you give for writers that are trying to write YA but also deal with these kind of topics? I think one of the things that I try to do is not overcomplicated. Mm-hmm. Um, and and one of my advantages was that I tried because for me particularly this 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 um, 2018 Zimbabwe I was there uh, and I was still in high school. So I, most of it was like from recollection of you know my teenage brain, if I mm-hmm. can say that. Mm-hmm. So that that did help me because I kept going back to but how did I see it then and. Like, how, how did I feel about it? Did I understand everything? And I tried to write from that, uh, which helped me not make it too heavy and too complicated and too theoretical. And, you know, so I think not to dumb it down because, you know, teenagers are not stupid. They can they can get what you're writing, even if it's complex, but not to make it like overly complex, because then in a story that could be boring. And if it's like delivered in a in an easy way, I think it's 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 easier to grasp and it hits home better than if you just try and complicate everything. That's what I would say. So, did you were you saying then that you um, kind of thought about you were thinking about how you looked at life when you were that age and used yes, that kind exactly. of voice and outlook? That's that's interesting, isn't it? Mm, absolutely, yeah. it works. And and talking about how you make it 
accessible and how you made it you know not over complicated the mm. one of the things I noticed was the chapters are nice and short they're punchy and they and they zip along yeah. was that a conscious choice to sort of keep you know keep the the pace of the story or did it just sort of flow better like that I I think the answer I would want to say was, oh, yeah, that was an obvious choice, but it really wasn't. Uh, I really have to give credit to my editor because she kind of picked up that it would be, uh, it would flow easier when it's, when, when the chapters are short and it makes you want to read more, which I agree with totally. So in that case, I, I can't take credit for that. And, and I guess that those are the, the, the props of having a good editor, I think, yeah. And how did you find the editing process? Well, to be quite honest, at first it was really hard for me because, um, you know, it, it's, it's hard having your work critiqued, and especially by somebody new. And funny enough, having, you know, my work critiqued is not something new, but just the fact that it was coming from somebody I didn't quite know well at the time, it was kind of hard to take that and be like, oh, okay, so maybe they don't like what I'm doing but uh, you know it as, as it went on because my editing process was a bit long because I didn't have an agent um so going through that I started I just started thinking no but wait if, if they really want to publish this and working this hard to try and have me you know improve it then that's a good thing so as the work was shaping up then I started to see that it's not it's not a bad thing it's not the easiest thing of course but it's I honestly cannot say that the story would be this good if, if, if it wasn't for my editor. I mean, she did an amazing job and, you know, you get to, to, to adjust to the process as you go, I think. It kind of improves you as a writer in a way as well, once you kind of, exactly. once, once you kind of know what can be taken out and it, it definitely is a learning, a learning, a positive learning curve. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And, I, and I, I, I was telling a friend recently that I think during my editing process, I actually picked up a few things about writing as well as I went because now writing other things, I can I look back and I'm like, wait, no, that wouldn't work because at the time, you know, they say to do this, so let me try this way and then it flows a bit better. So it's it's definitely a good indirect way of learning to write as well. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your kind of writing journey? Have you always <laughs> written stories and stuff like that or have you, have you studied any writing or anything? Um, well, I always tell people I never had a choice when it comes to writing. I think it was always in the books for me because my dad used to uh, lecture uh, English literature at university. So every day after school or after work for him, he would sit me down and like tutor me too because it's something that he enjoyed. I don't think he, he did it as an, oh, you need to learn how to do this, but more, I love doing this. So I would like to share it with you and you can learn how to do it. So we would have tutorials of about 30 to 45 minutes, which I didn't always enjoy at the time because I wanted to go out and play, of course. But now looking back, that was very priceless. So that's how I started around the age of eight or nine um, every day till I was 14. Writing every day? Every day. That's amazing. Your dad well, must every be other day. very proud. Yeah. <laughs> so my, my dad was very invested. I don't know that he ever dreamed it would come to this. Um, and then after that, well, he got busier. So then it stopped around 14 and I also went to boarding school. So boarding school, I was in the writing club. And um, so I'd write like uh, articles for the magazines. I'd write short stories for people. Um, so much that at some point I used to have like a, a sticker on my desk that says that said stories for free. So people would bring like notebooks with story requests of, oh, I want a love story. And then I'd just like 
write a love story to fill in the book, uh, the notebook, and then give it back. Uh, or that's that say I want an action story. So that was good training for me. It was fun for me, but I, it was actually some form of training at the time. So I, I have been writing, not very well, of course, but throughout my, my life, I think, till now, yeah. I and in university, I had like a, um, a writing tutor who uh, was supposed to be uh, academic writing, but he was a, a, a playwright as well. So he... She said, would you like to learn how to do this? And I was just like, of course I would. So I had that for the whole of my first year every Friday till, yeah. Oh, wow. So that's my writing. I, <laughs> that's, that's lovely, isn't it? I think every school should have a writing club. What a lovely yeah. thing. And yeah, how lovely. That, that helped me a lot, yeah. Yeah. I love the idea of the, the you, you know you just wrote they, people are country and be like write me something sci-fi and you'd be like okie doke work I love that <laughs> but I idea. can't say it was any good at the time but yeah I would I would always write something I I think uh, yeah I never got anything back now that I think about yeah. it There's a lot of time spent writing stories and I never got anything for it yeah oh, <laughs> oh. well that's nice yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just apart from bringing people joy. Which, <laughs> yes, you know. <laughs> which which actually is something that with your current book one of the overwhelming takeaways is despite obviously as we've talked about the sort of difficult nature of some of the topics it is overwhelmingly positive the message you know it's about hope and that's what you come away with again was that did you sit down before you started writing and think I want to write a book that is ultimately hopeful or you seem to have a very sunny disposition do you think that that is just naturally where you know how the book evolved well I think I um I started from a place of anger to be quite honest and I think you can see it with uh, it comes out a lot in Shamiso I think um but as I I think somewhere around the eighth chapter I just stopped and say this can't be what I'm trying to say this can't be how it ends so then I wrote the ending actually and uh, I was like this is how it must end for me it must be positive it must be a good message I don't want it to be dreary but at the same time I don't want to undermine how difficult things can get but in the in in, in, in that same light it can't just be a story of oh yeah things are difficult deal with it end of story it has to be a positive message. So at first it wasn't intentional, but as I kept writing, I think for myself as well, to remind myself if I ever read the story again, I wanted it to be a positive message. I, I, I didn't want it to just be something you know, miserable and sad. And, you know, that's where the story ends. In a world of things that are miserable and sad, yeah, it's nice exactly. to have a little <laughs> bit, of, a bit of hope. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I've heard of that technique before of, of writers... Um, sort of hitting a bit of a wall and then deciding to write the ending did you yeah. find that, that that just gave you focus and that the the rest of the story was easier to sort of unpack because you were moving towards something well definitely yeah I think in in most of my writing actually I always try and have ending or at least know how how's the story going to end so that you know even wherever the story goes but this is how it's going to end so it helps me not get lost if that makes sense um and and with this book particularly it was like that I mean it didn't start out as a book I actually like I said intended to, to you know publish but um it did help to have an ending you know put there and just think about okay so even if they go through this at the end it must change it must be different 
and that did help me to write faster actually because I knew how it was going to end. Yeah. And how it's a great technique. And how long did it take you to write? Um, well, because I wasn't writing every day, it was three months. If I was writing every day dedicated, I might have taken less time. So less than three months. <laughs> <laughs> no, but to be to be quite fair, I just finished my first degree, so I I was on a break. I was okay. not doing anything at the time, so it was just literally, you know, watching TV, going out with friends, coming back and thinking, yeah, I should write this. Oh, so if, if well, now it's totally different with, with work and, and everything else I'm doing, it, it and I try to write every day and. Three months down the line, I think I've gotten through three or four chapters. <laughs> so it's very different now. You said they're your first degree. How many degrees do you have? Oh, just two. Just two. Oh, just two. Just the two. <laughs> Not much. Amazing. And a published book to your name. Not much. Um, so I'm, I'm interested in, because um, you know you said that you, you started off saying that um, you when you first started writing, you were writing from a place of anger. And when you're kind of writing about, that those kind of things that mean a lot to you it's difficult not to kind of just plow all of your feelings and all of the things that you want to say just kind of quite haphazardly in there yeah. how did you um how did you balance you know the real feeling and the you know and and the real anger with kind of like you know the having to tell the story and keep people reading without it feeling kind of like a like a like a rant essentially yeah yeah um the very first draft, I must be honest, I think was like that. I think it had a lot of my personal anger in it as well. And then um, when I was editing, like before I sent it out, um, I just thought, but would this particular character react this way or would I as pretender react this way? Because then there's a difference. I'm writing about somebody who's not me mm. necessarily. So I then tried to like, okay, so maybe this is a bit too much. This is what I would say. But with the way the story is going and who, whom I've created this person to be like, they're not going to say this or they're not going to feel this. So this is out of line. So I take out some of the things and just be like, yeah. Or maybe this is a, a response that's too old for this particular character. So then I try to tuned down as I went but my first draft definitely had lots of that <laughs> yeah so maybe it's good like therapeutic just to whack it all down and then you can work out which bits are kind of yeah, yeah definitely uh, yeah. yeah it was for me at least yeah. yeah yeah and because it's as we've mentioned it it is it's a YA book did you always intended to write it as a YA story and publish it in that in YA or was it just that that's how it unfolded and I don't think I even knew I was writing a YA book, to be quite honest. Um, I, I, I don't think I knew, to be honest. I, I, I just fell into it, I guess, because I was writing from a teenage perspective. That then did make sense. But I didn't sit down and be like, okay, I'm doing this. It just made sense because I was writing about something I experienced as a teenager, and I thought... I should write it from this because that's how I, I remember it. And if somebody was going through this and they were that age, I would like to say something and maybe that could help them. So then it just ended up being YA. But I don't think, yeah, it definitely wasn't intentional. Mm, yeah. and, and do you think that there's a bit of a lack of material and, and substantive uh, books and <clears throat> films and culture for young people to help them come to terms with those sorts of issues? Do we still have a gap to fill there, do you think? I think so. I think there'll always be need for because you know there's there's 
so many things that kids deal with and things evolve every time. So there's, you know, new things that come up all the time. And some of the old books might have talked about stuff like World War and whatever. Not to say that it doesn't apply because some of the themes are always going to be timeless, but there's always going to be a need to talk about even recent things. Like, uh, I don't know if you've read uh, The Hate You Give. Find an excuse yeah, to no, I need to, I need to read it. Yeah. <laughs> it's things like that, that, you know, it's, 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 you can read another book and just feel comforted, but books that target a specific topic for a teen, that also says something and helps you to get through stuff. So they, I think they will, I want to say there'll always be a gap that we always have to be aware of as writers to not exactly follow trends, but like, well, yeah. Trends. <laughs> it's, it's, it's important, isn't it, to um, to address the things that are actually affecting teenagers. You know, there's no need to, you know, they're like teenagers are smart people that are encountering yeah, yeah. the world, and to, and to sort of, you know, make things a little bit like less scared, like like sort of proclaim their world as not being mm. kind of not having these these adult experiences. You know, I've been I've been obsessed with Thirteen Reasons Why recently, mm, and, um, mm, and I just yeah. and, and like you know they the way that the writers in that show tackle. <laughs> things that are happening you know like it's exactly yeah. there is like kind of a responsibility to talk about this experience and like you know when you're a teenager you feel things so passionately like mm-hmm. I feel like mm-hmm. I still feel things like that but like <laughs> you know like the, the, and there's and there's so much more um you know lack of knowledge about the world that kind of makes things feel like a lot more es- like more escalated so it's, I think it's really important yeah. but why why do you think it is perhaps that readers are being drawn to these topics a bit more because it's it's things you see in the news it's things that affect your friends things that affect you your family so you know if you read a book that talks about something that you're going through you don't feel so alone and if it has a positive message then you feel like okay so I can do this if this character could do this if they look like me or if if they're my age or if they're in my city or whatever or even if they're not but the message is the same you know this this person kind of understands what I'm going through so Maybe, you know, that, that makes you feel a bit less alone, mm. I think, as, not even just as a teenager, but as a person. That That's probably why most of us read books, because then at the end of it, you can kind of see yourself in that book. Yeah. And that's really important, I think. It kind of shifts things in your mindset a lot, doesn't it? When you mm. do things like, you know, you just, it just kind of things just like fall nicely into place or, or you're like, oh, you know, me too. That feels, you know. Exactly. But even if, it, if it's not necessarily something that's happening to you, it helps you understand somebody else's worldview. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, I'm not I'm not American, but when I read read the hate you give, I was thinking, wow, okay, that must be really scary for somebody who's going through that or mm-hmm. seen that. So it's 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 necessary, especially because we're we're turning into what we are really global, you know, citizenship. So it, if I'm supposed to understand the person next to me and how they see the world or how they they've been treated or living in the world. It's very important to read other people's stories, and more so if they if you're a teenager and it's a book about teens who are living and you know it's it's, it's quite it's very important. Yeah, and um, we're always fascinated to know a bit more about how authors write their books. Do you have any certain writing routines? You you said that you were writing every day, but not so much yeah. when you. Um, do you write in the morning? Do you find that you have to get into a particular mindset? How does the sort of writing inspiration come for you? Well, the first thing I want to say is that writers need um, 
discipline. And I'm saying this to myself more than I'm saying it to anyone because <laughs> I am not doing so well on that right now. <laughs> but uh, um, mornings are really bad for me. Mornings are out of the picture because I have to pray myself to wake up. I, I do not understand the process of waking up is very difficult for me. <laughs> uh, um, and the process of going to bed is also quite difficult because I, I keep thinking, oh, no, perhaps do this. But then probably that's why waking up is so hard. But anyway, <laughs> not to stray. Um, I write whenever I have a free moment, to be honest. So I could be on my lunch break at work and think, okay, I'm constantly thinking of a storyline. Um, so I've, I've told myself I'm not always going to have time to write because my job is very demanding. Um, so sometimes even if I intend to write in the evening, I come back and I'm too tired and I just can't. So what I've told myself is that I have to, at least throughout the day, if I just get five, five seconds or whatever uh, during the day, I need to think about where the story is going. So I need to constantly be, try be trying to develop the plot because um, I don't know how other people do it, but I can't have the exact... I have the, 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 the outline at the beginning, but it always changes for me. Like, as you write, I, I don't know if other people do that, but the story just takes its own shift sometimes. Um, <clears throat> and... So I'd always try and think, okay, so I'm here, I'm on this chapter, and this is what's going on. What's the next step? What's going to happen now? How are they going to react? What is this character thinking? And what is this character like? So at least if I don't get home and write that down, I already have it in my mind and it's brewing. So when I sit down, I don't waste time now thinking, okay, so how am I going to make this happen? Because I've already thought about it, and maybe now I can even see it happening. Mm. So it's easier and faster for me to write. Um, so most of my weekends go to that now. Um, I I do very badly with writing during the week because, like I said, I'm really tired. So Sundays are my best writing days because then I have a bit of the picture already in my mind throughout the week, and then I just sit and bleed on Sunday mm -hmm. and then sleep. <laughs> <laughs> What's the, what job do you do? What's your very demanding job? Um, I'm a trade lawyer at the UN. Oh, wow. <laughs> Quite an impressive lady. <laughs> Such an impressive yeah. lady. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Well, that's seriously impressive. And no wonder you're so Thank tired you. during the week. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a lot of work and it gets a bit busy. Probably not as busy as it would in a law firm, but still busy, yeah. An interesting, interesting role as well. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned earlier that you didn't, when you were pitching the book and stuff, you didn't have an agent. Mm. And um, a lot of our people that listen to this are um, kind of, you know, one need to know whether that's kind of whether that's a route you'd recommend or whether the agent thing. How did you find the experience of pitching a book without an agent in your corner? Um, well, my story is a bit. I don't know that I would use me as an example to be quite honest, because mine is a bit unusual or unorthodox, I should say. Um, because what happened was I, I wrote the book. I think that's what I would say. Just have your work ready. Like, don't have parts of it. Finish the whole thing, because that's what helped me. Um, I finished the book or the first draft and then um, I was working, I was, I was volunteering in Southampton and um, uh, at a local church and one of the ladies there asked me what I'd been doing for the past three months and then I just said, well, I've been like venting on paper and I wrote a book out of it and then she was like, oh, what do you, what do you intend to do with it? And then I just shared that, well, 
uh, eventually I want my dad to read it, but I wanted to be good enough for him to read it since mm-hmm. you know he taught me to write. I don't want him to read after all those years and think, oh my goodness, this is where you still are. So I was just sharing that with her that I haven't shared with a few friends. And then she said, well, my daughter is in the uh, um, publishing industry. Uh, she can give you a few pointers. And I thought, okay, cool. But she, we'd, we'd never talked about publishing or anything like that. So I thought this daughter would read the book and, you know, tell me what to fix, bring it back, and good, we're done. And, well, that did happen. Of course, she did reply and say, okay, story needs this and this and this. Let's look at this and this and this. But um, if you're kin, we would like to publish you. And I remember replying and saying, well, thanks. I'll look at that. Um, talk to you soon. And, and she was like, can I call you? I don't think you understand what I just said. <laughs> you're offering to publish a book. And then I just went bonkers and thought, oh my goodness, this isn't happening. I didn't intend for it to happen. Should it be this story? Should it be this Aww. book? And that was it. That's that's just how it was. How wonderful. Yeah. And has, <laughs> has, has your dad read the book now? I'm quite nervous about it. He wouldn't <laughs> let me send him a, a, um, a free book. He insisted that he wanted to order his own copy and get it. Oh. But because, you know, it's not so easy getting copies on my side of the world. Yeah. Um, on his side of the world. Um, he's still waiting for it. But my mom has read it, though. And she loved it. But I think she's biased. She was <laughs> upset at me for some of the characters that didn't make it to the end of the book. So she was like, no, that shouldn't have happened. But, oh. but she, she did enjoy the story, yeah. Well, I think, I mean, you say, you know, don't use you in this, as an example, but I, one of the things I take away from that story is be open about your work. Tell people well, yeah. about your work because you never know who you're talking to or who someone else knows. And actually, we've talked to quite a lot of authors, haven't we, who actually it turned out, you know, a sort of seeming, seemingly innocuous conversation mm-hmm. led to someone saying, oh, actually, a friend of a friend of mine, and that's how the ball, mm-hmm. you know, got rolling so well, that, that's very true yeah I agree with you yeah and and it, it's something that when I, when I look back I'm not always I don't know why I'm like that but I'm not always very open to telling people that I write I don't know why um but for that for some reason that's something that I happened to share and got me here so I think it's very important like you say to be to be open about not just you know telling people that you write but actually sharing that you have work that's ready or, mm. you know, you're writing about a particular thing. Because some, some publishers, as I've heard, look for books that, you know, say a certain message or write about a particular thing. So, yeah. You never know. It was obviously <coughs> yeah. destiny, wasn't it, that you just, like, happened to be chatting, doing work experience, <laughs> happened to chat <laughs> to that lady. Yeah, well, yeah, how yeah. wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> so what's next? Well, I'm not sure how much I'm allowed to say, but I am... On almost three quarters done with my second book, and um, I'm not sure I'm supposed to say when it will be out or what the title is, but that's that's as much as I can share. How mysterious! And I think I, I'm allowed to say that it's also based in Zimbabwe, but um, this time a bit more historic. So um, I think in the 1970s, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it yeah, sounds sure it, it sounds great. Yeah. yeah. And do you, do you I know? hope it will be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. Do yeah. you do you have any maybe like just finally do you have any kind of Zim, other Zimbabwean authors that our listeners should check out? Um well definitely Titi Langarimba. She's one of the authors that I grew up reading. 
that movie. There's also Bettina Gapa. She's quite popular these days. Um, She's uh, written The Book of Memory, I think, is her latest book. Um, And, um, uh, oh dear, this name is escaping me. Tendai Wuchu. Yeah, I've I've still to finish his book, but beginning it's quite interesting uh, it's called uh, the the hairdresser of Harare. yeah okay cool well yeah. i have a look for them what's the what's the writing scene like in zimbabwe at the moment does it feel like i know that you're not there you're not living there at the moment is it does it feel like quite an exciting time to be a writer in zimbabwe and um i don't think so i think the the the, the book industry is not Sadly, it's not doing so well right now. Um, I think because for obvious reasons, you know, it's not a priority. So mm. people are not like hunting. For, and it's really expensive. Like you'd find that, you know, Hope is Our Only Wing is six ninety nine or something in the UK. Um, in Zimbabwe, it would probably be like 25, 30 US dollars. Oh, wow. And that's like such a hike. And, mm. you know, people would then prioritize on like, rather get like textbooks or I'd rather get I don't know a meal or something and get a book you know so it's 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 not it's not doing so well and there's not a lot of publishers right now at least that take manuscripts from new writers they take established writers because of course they already have a readership so it's 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 quite sad because you know you see like even on Twitter and stuff people are hungry for or, or books by Zimbabwean writers. Mm. And one of the things that people have been emailing and tweeting to complain about uh, is that, you know, I got published in the UK and why is this book not home in Zimbabwe? But, mm. you know, it's, it's quite unfortunate that the climate isn't very conducive for, for new writers at the moment. Mm-hmm. That's a shame. Well, we've got Hope is Our Only Wing to be getting on with in the meantime and it is such you know as we were saying it's such a hopeful and positive book and I don't think you can read it without coming away with you know a just a much better insight into Zimbabwe and its in its beauty and its history and as you know a positive message as well thank you <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us yeah, it's been such a pleasure thank you for having me this was The Riffraff Podcast is hosted by co-founders Amy Baker and Rosie Edwards. Come say hey at the-riffraff.com. Rosie and I just wanted to thank you all so much for listening. We're so incredibly grateful. So please do let us know what you think, what you'd like more of, and any debut authors you'd like to hear from. Also, it would be really lovely if you could subscribe and give us a review so we can spread the word and give these marvellous debut authors the exposure they deserve.